And so if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, I'm going to ask that you click to turn to John chapter 20 is where we're going to be for our time on this Easter Sunday. And if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have an electronic device with Scripture on it, that's okay. The words are going to come up as, as I read them, and they'll come up on your screen. And then one last thing I would just like to mention to you, and that is this, is that I was reading through Scripture, and I came across a story. In 2 Chronicles, when the children of Israel, the Israelites, they, the, the, the temple had been, been destroyed, and because of that, they couldn't observe Passover. And then Hezekiah comes in, and Hezekiah rebuilds the temple. 2 Chronicles chapter 30 is the reference. And so Hezekiah comes in, he rebuilds the temple, and as a result of that, the children of Israel, the, the, they, they, could, they could worship again. And, and so Hezekiah made this decree, and he said, he said, we're going to take we're going to celebrate Passover late this year. And so here's what we're going to do. We've talked about this as a staff, that our first weekend back together, when we gather, when we're together again, we're going to celebrate Easter. We're going to celebrate Easter. We're going to do all the things that we said that we were going to do. We're going to baptize that weekend. And we're going to, so we're going to baptize everybody that's accepted Christ or wants to get baptized in this period. And it's going to be a picture to us that, that God has done a marvelous work through this period. So if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you can join me at John chapter 20. And I want to talk to you about something that was, was maybe like a, a unique sermon to talk about on, on Easter Sunday. I want to talk to you a guy that we would know him as Doubting Thomas. He was one of the disciples. It was after the, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus begins um, uh, appearing to, to the disciples and to some of his followers. And so, so we'll just pick up the story. John chapter 24, I'm sorry, John chapter 20, verse 24. Here's what the scripture says. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin. In some translation is Didymus, which means, simply means twin. And said, so called the twin. Was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands in the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of, of the nails, and place my hand into his side. He said, I just want you to know, I'll never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see, and see my hands, and put, your, put out your, your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve. But believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There are some people in life that they're they're not remembered by, by like their accomplishments. They're remembered by their, their glaring mistakes. They're, they're remembered by that one mistake that they may have made. I mean, it may be a football player that ne may have never won a Super Bowl or a coach that never took them to the Super Bowl. It may be someone in, in the political arena. It may be someone in your family to where they are remembered not by their accomplishments. They are remembered by their glaring mistakes. They're remembered by one mistake. And everybody kind of forgets of all the good things that they did. And I'm worried that, 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 that Thomas was that guy. Shakespeare said in Julius Caesar, he said, The evil that men do lives after them. The good is off interred with their bones. And so it was with the, the disciple of Jesus called Thomas. Didymus means the, the twin. 
2,000 years later, Thomas is still known as Doubting Thomas because he dared to express disbelief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The other disciples, here's what's so fascinating and interesting about this. The other disciples, they doubted also. When the, first, when the women first came from, from the tomb, the empty tomb, amazed that Jesus had risen, look at their reaction. Luke chapter 24, verse, verse 10, the scripture says, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Yet, yet Thomas is the one. Yet Thomas is the one that we remember as a skeptic. Thomas is the one that we remember as the doubter. Thomas is the one that we remember as the one that, that at first like, didn't believe. And his name is associated for like 2,000 years as doubt and unbelief. And so for 2,000 years, we still refer to Thomas as, as doubting Thomas. But you know what? I like Thomas. And I like Thomas a lot because Thomas was honest. Thomas was honest about his feelings. He was honest with what, about his beliefs. And, and I, I think with Thomas, there's a lot of us that have a lot in common with Thomas. I think may, many of us may be able to relate more to Thomas maybe than the other disciples because he, he was a man who his faith had faltered. He was a man who had some doubts. He was a man that needed some evidence or some proof to, 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 to believe. Because most of us, if we're honest, we have doubts on occasion. There's a story of the little boy that came home from Sunday school, and he, he looked at his dad. And he said, Dad, you're not going to believe what they taught us in Sunday school today. There was this guy by the name of Moses, and Moses was leading the children of Israel, uh, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And the Egyptian army was like bearing down on them. And they came to the Red Sea, and Moses didn't know what to do. I mean, he was going to be destroyed, so he got on his walkie-talkie. He called in the Army Corps of Engineers. They built a bridge across the Red Sea, and then they got on the Red Sea, and as they're going across, the Egyptian army came on the bridge and was going to get them. And so Moses gets back on, on his walkie-talkie, and this time he calls in an airstrike. And an airstrike came in and, like, like bombed them and, like, killed them. And, and because of that, Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And his father looked at him and said, Son, is that really how they told you the story in Sunday school? He said, No, Dad, but if I told you how they really told that story, you would never believe me. Maybe many of us are like that. Maybe many of us are like that in, in life to where we have this doubt, this inward nagging feeling that we're expected to believe and what we're expected to believe may or may not be true. And in that, you can have a lack of confidence in your faith. Doubt can become a daily tormentor of many Christians. Not sure if they really believe what they claim to believe. Doubt can have this negative force in your life, and it can gnaw at you, it can work at you, and it constantly can erode your trust and your confidence in your Lord. So this, this morning, the time that we have, I want to talk to you about Thomas, and I want to talk to you about his doubts. I want to talk to you about three things that he did with his doubts, three things that we can do with our doubts. One is, is, is not very helpful. The other two are very helpful. fact is, the other two carry us on the road to freedom. 
The first one is this. The first thing that we can do with our doubts is, you know what? We can just accept my doubts. We can come to that place to where, you know what? We just, we just kind of accept our doubts, and we're all born with different personalities. We're all born with different temperaments. And, and Thomas, when you look at his life, he had more of a pessimistic temperament. I mean, I mean, when you look at him and you kind of study him in Scripture, he was very melancholy in his temperament. He was analytical. He was pessimistic. Uh, but... He was very loyal. And when you look at his life, it was just this basic nature of some people to sometimes to question and sometimes to challenge. And, and you look, can look at two incidents in Thomas's life that showed that he was negative and he was pessimistic. And there was a time early in Jesus' ministry, and Jesus told the disciples that, that, they were gonna, that he was going to go into Jerusalem, and it was going to be a time of great turmoil. And look how Thomas responds. John chapter 11, verse 16, he says, So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Jesus never talked about anything about dying. And Thomas was loyal to the point, though, of like dying with Jesus. But he was also, he was also negative. He was also pessimistic. And Jesus tells the disciples that he was, he was going to go away towards the end of his ministry. He was preparing them that he was going to go away. And Jesus told his disciples that I'm going to go away, but do not worry because you know where I'm going. And look at Thomas because Thomas was a thinker and Thomas was kind of pessimistic. And, and, and he thought about John chapter 14, verse 5. And then so Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And so the fact is that Thomas just spoke up and was honest and began to ask questions is evidence that, that Thomas was one of those people that just kind of struggled to believe. He just needed more information. And, and, and maybe you find yourself skeptical or maybe you find yourself where it's hard to believe. You may have a hard time believing. See, some find it just very easy to believe. And you may find yourself sneering at them and thinking that their faith is shallow because of that. And so one of the things that we can do with our doubt is we can just, we can just accept them and we can have this pessimistic ter uh, uh, temperament. But another thing is this, what we can do with our doubts is, is we just have unexplained suffering. There's two types of suffering. There's explained suffering and there's unexplained suffering. A lot of times unexplained suffering is the most difficult form of suffering. Unexplained suffering and, and explained suffering is like totally different. Like right now, I'm suffering, but it's explainable because I'm a, I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. I've been a Dallas Cowboy fan my entire life. I grew up in a home where, where being a Dallas Cowboy fan was the only, only choice. Nothing else would be like acceptable. And so, but my suffering is explainable because I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. It does not cause me to doubt God. It, well, it causes me to doubt my own wisdom of being a Dallas Cowboy fan after all these years. But when, but when there's unexplained suffering, when it strikes close at home, it, it can jar your faith. How can God be all loving and all powerful? And, and this is happening to me. I've seen people as a, as a pastor, and maybe you've seen people, walk through tragedy and it rocks their faith to the point where they they just quit believing in God and some people have this false concept of God that being a Christian exempts you or prevents you from ever going through hurt and pain and disaster and and they're devastated when bad things happen to good people and Thomas believed in Jesus and because Jesus was one of the best men that he'd ever been around. He knew he was real. And yet Jesus was, had been crucified. And his confidence in the Savior of the world had, 
had maybe been destroyed or disillusioned or maybe he was confused. And another thing about this issue of, 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 of our doubts is this, is just sometimes what can cause doubts is just hypocrisy. And maybe you put your confidence in a Christian leader or a Christian pastor and they have been lying or they have been stealing or they have been cheating on their mate and you weren't even suspicious, but it, it undermines your, your faith and, and you can feel so naive that you become skeptical, skeptical of Christianity or church and maybe you feel like it's a hoax. And I mean, you see that with Thomas. Thomas, you see, had put his faith in Judas Iscariot and, and Simon Peter. And they both denied him. They both betrayed him. Little wonder when the disciples had met for the first even evening that Thomas chose to be absent. Thomas wasn't there the first time. He went to a solitary place to think and to ponder because his faith had been rocked. And sometimes what feeds into those doubts is sometimes it's just negative propaganda. You, know, you, you, you may read something on in a book or you may read something on the Google that somebody, some intelligent so-called person has written some things and about Christianity and about the Bible and you can't trust it and as a result of that it's just rocked your faith and but 1 Corinthians 1 26 27 says says for consider your calling brothers not many of you were wise according to worldly standards not many were powerful not many were of noble birth but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise God chose what is weak in the world to shame the the, the strong and if you're out to impress the intellectuals um, that, that, that believe in themselves and their intellect and then you will be disillusioned and, and so maybe what feeds into that it fed into maybe what feeds into that is also unconfessed sin most doubt is not intellectual doubt but it's unconfessed sin M moral doubt is when people walk in disobedience and they begin to question God and his, and his goodness and you look at you look at Judas, right? Judas was the one he was in charge of the money, and and he handled the money. Yet he's accusing everybody else of not handling money properly, and it was because of his unconfessed sin that really worked against Judas. Is 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 a as a, re, as a result of that, Hebrews three twelve says, "Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you." an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God then he goes on to say the writer of Hebrews goes on to say Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 he said let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting meeting together as in the habit of some but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near maybe for you it could be insufficient evidence it was true in Thomas's life I mean, Thomas came to the place and he said, he said, I think I have insufficient evidence. I wasn't in the room when, when Jesus appeared to you. See, Thomas, Thomas wanted to believe. He just needed more evidence. And he was asking, listen, he was asking for the same proof that, was, that the other disciples have had. And there's two types and two kinds of doubt. There is honest doubt and there is dishonest doubt. Dishonest doubt doesn't even worry about the evidence. It, it's just convenience doubt. But a doubting person can live in a sinful way and just not feel guilty about it. But, but doubting, by doubting, it can be an excuse. 
But honest doubters say, I'm not sure if it's true, but I'm willing to examine the evidence and then willing to make a choice. Honest doubt is not the opposite of faith. Honest doubt is that immediate stage when we begin to examine the evidence and, and make a thorough investigation. See, this is, this is what Thomas did. So the first thing is this, is you can just kind of allow your, your doubts to stay. And the second thing is this, is you can admit your doubts. You can come to the place and say, you know what, I'm going to do something with this. I'm going to go on to the road of freedom. I'm going to go on to the road and examine this for myself. And, and you can come to the place to where you just begin to admit your doubts. See, here's what happens when you and I begin to admit our doubts. It does a few things. It can reinforce your faith. It can reinforce your beliefs. There are some Christians that think their faith is, is like too good to check out and, and as a result of that they don't ask hard questions but I'm telling you Christianity can take hard questions. There is so much evidence about just our historical faith of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ was who and he did what he said he was going to do. First Peter 3.15 says this. says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make defense to to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do not yet do it with gentleness and respect so one thing it can do it can reinforce your faith the other thing is when you begin to admit your doubt it can expose to to false teaching when you begin to examine the scriptures for yourself when you begin to read the scriptures for yourself then all of a sudden you can understand what is biblical teaching and what is not biblical teaching you can turn on the television and you can see all kinds of religious biblical teaching that is out there and if you don't have some sense of honest doubt that you're going to swallow some form of false teaching. Here's what the scripture says. 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Christians can be so naive that sometimes that they're sending money to tell evangelists, saying that if you sow a seed, you'll reap a thousand where they never come to the place and, and check it out for themselves and open up the scriptures and see what biblical faith really looks like the third thing is this you can do with your doubts is you can come to the place and say you know what I'm going to address my doubts I'm going to address my doubts and I'm going to figure it out for myself because when you look at this story, you find that, that you find so much evidence in Thomas's life as he walked through his doubts and his doubts led him to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And how did Thomas become convicted? You can look at several things that he did right. First thing he did, he, admit, he admitted the problem. He, had, he admitted the problem. When, when the others admitted that they had seen Jesus when he was absent, he admitted that, that he didn't believe and that he wouldn't believe until he could touch the wounds himself and kill, until he could see the evidence for himself. Thomas was this, place, this person that came to the place that, that talked about how he felt. And if you're going to deal with your skepticism, if you're going to deal with your doubts, you have to come to the place to honestly say, I doubt, but I'm willing to walk through the evidence. I'm willing to look at this. I'm willing to do something with my skepticism. Through the years, the church has communicated that, that, that true Christians never have any doubts. And as a result, several people are afraid to admit their doubts. But when you look at Thomas, you find this guy that was willing to admit his doubts, willing to say, I just need some more evidence. When we are able to say, I know I'm supposed to believe, but I, I, I just need proof. 
I just need some evidence. And you're on the road to freedom. You're on the road to where you will meet him. I mean, there was a man in the Bible that said when, when Jesus talked to him, and the man says, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. This man was an honest doubter. He was honest with Jesus. I do believe, just help me with my unbelief. And Jesus, Jesus loved him, accepted him, answered his questions, and this man entered into a relationship with him. And so one of the, the steps is to come to the place to where you just admit the problem, you just admit your doubts. The second thing is, is he associated with believers? The first Sunday night after the resurrection, Thomas was there. He wasn't there the first night, but, that, or, but he was there. And he could have dismissed it, dismissed it altogether. And they were emotional. And yet Thomas was there with them. He could have totally walked away. But he came into a relationship with them. He associated with other believers. He associated with other people that had evidence. And you find Thomas right there with them. The third thing that you see that he did right, he examined the evidence was made available to him. When Thomas was with the disciples, Jesus just suddenly uh, appears in the room and he was in the room with the door locked and the doors weren't open and, and all of a sudden like Jesus is there and it had, to have, it had to have shocked all of them. And then Jesus looked, he looked straight at Thomas. And he says, I, I want you to see and I want you to examine John chapter 20, verse 26 and 29, the scripture says, eight days later, his disciples were in sight again. And Thomas is, Thomas is with them. Although the doors were locked and Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, and Jesus knew he had doubts. Jesus knew he needed more evidence. He said, put your finger here, see my hands, and put out your hand, place it in my side. He said, Thomas, don't disbelieve, believe. And then Thomas answered him, this is his, this is his moment. I mean, this is his man that, that had all these questions. And then when he came to Jesus, Jesus answered every question that he had. And Jesus decides, desires to do that for you as well. And then Jesus said, and then Thomas said, and Thomas answered, my Lord, my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? And blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In other words, Thomas, stop doubting. Believe. And Thomas was so convinced by the evidence that he believed. And now I understand and I get it. We we don't have an opportunity to have this dramatic proof of evidence to reinforce our beliefs, but we do. We do have the privilege of hearing convincing testimonies about the existence of God, the reality and, re re and the authenticity of, of Scripture and the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ, and we can look at the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and, and we can believe that if Jesus Christ had not been raised from the dead, then why would a hundreds, hundreds of believers die for the conviction that he was alive? Why is it that they never found his body? 
I mean, the Romans would have done anything to discredit Jesus in his ministry. And they, wouldn't, they couldn't find his body because his body's not there. His body had, had rose again for the forgiveness of our sins. And I'm telling you, I've, I've been to Israel a couple of times, and my wife and I have stood with other believers in the, in the tomb, and I, I'm telling you that the tomb is empty. There is so much evidence for us to believe that it's just right there for us to believe. Man, we've been to Cave 4 and, and, and where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found that just proved the reality. I cannot say that word this weekend to show us that the Bible is reliable, that what we have in our hands can be trusted. And we've been to Cave 4. We've been to Israel with group after group, and I've had person after person tell me that after they saw the evidence that they, they believed even at a deeper level because the evidence that was there, the historical proof that was there that was just available to us, one of the most meaningful times for us was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're in the gar- Garden of Gethsemane, and our guide begins telling us about this, this ivy or this 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 this. Uh, it wasn't a flower but it was like a ground cover and it had these green leaves on it and it was in the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus had prayed and when he had prayed about if there's anything can happen so this cup can pass before me then then Lord just let it be but not my will your will and then the scripture says that he began to sweat drops of blood and so the guide told us that prior to the garden of Gethsemane moment that this, this that this leaf was pure green But when Jesus prayed that, all of a sudden, red dots begin to appear on that leaf. And still to this day, you can go to Israel this day, and you can see that ground cover, and it's much different than than the ones that we have. But you can see the leaf, and you can see the red droplets that represent the blood that Christ had sweat when he was praying at the Garden of Gethsemane. a couple of months ago, my wife was back in Houston, Texas, helping my mom, and so my mom has that exact plant in her yard, and Karen began looking at that plant, and the red spots weren't there only in Israel. Man, this is not just Bible stories. I mean, history proves the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How can you and I explain that they couldn't find his body? How can you explain the positive changes that happens in someone's life when they follow him? How can you explain that we can trust Scripture, the Scripture that we have in our hands that's 2,000 years old? How can you explain that this Bible, when we read it, applies to our life, and when we put it in, in, in practice, that there's peace and there's something that happens as a result of that? When you look at Thomas's life, you realize that he came to this place, that he admitted his, his, his doubts. He admitted that he needed Jesus. He admitted that he needed more evidence. And Jesus answered every question that he had and you look at Thomas's life and Thomas surrendered to him in a simple prayer my Lord and my my God and Thomas surrendered everything to him he surrendered his questions he surrendered his doubts he surrendered his personality he surrendered his person uh, his, his his temperament he surrendered his attitude he surrendered everything that he had And Thomas had questions, but Jesus answered every one of them. And he expressed it, and he said it out loud. He said, my Lord and my God. And one way to reinforce your faith and to reinforce my faith is when we say it out loud in the presence of others. When we come to that place to where we just accept him to where we ask him to come into our life for the forgiveness of our sins because we're going to follow him fact is Paul writes in Romans chapter 10 verse 8 through 10 
he writes these words and he says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart as a word of faith that we proclaim. Then watch this verse nine, because if we confess with your because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And Thomas, for his moment, came to that place when he says, my Lord and my God. And so maybe Maybe right where you are in your home or, or in your apartment or wherever you're viewing this service from, maybe you need to come to the place and you need just to confess, my Lord and my God. Maybe you just need to pray a prayer and say, dear Lord Jesus, I know that you died for my sins on a cross and you were buried and on the third day you rose again. And I'm asking you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins and give me the gift of eternal life. To the very best of my ability, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to walk with you. Maybe you've never prayed that prayer. And maybe you need to pray that prayer and just make it personal. Just like Thomas where he says, my Lord and my God. Just like Paul said in Romans, it is something that we express. It's something that we say out loud. We would like to help you with that. We would like to come alongside of you. If you have prayed that prayer, if you have accepted him, would you just send us an email? Email us at fellowshipoftherockies.org. Email us at fellowshipoftherockies.org. And just let us know, I prayed that prayer. My Lord and my God, I want to become a Christian or I became a Christian. I want to follow him in believer's baptism because that's, that's your next step. That's our next step to where you just come to that place. And listen, I know, I get it, I understand. I'm reading statistic after statistic right now with what we're walking through as, as a country and really as a world. In the U.S., they would tell us that Bible sales, the sale of Bibles right now is up 40 to 60%. Walmart has reported that in many of their stores, they, they, they just keep selling out of Bibles, that people are buying Bibles very, very fast right now, and they're looking into the Scriptures, and they're looking for answers. And so I get that, I understand that. And if that is you, I want to help you. I want to personally help you. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, Thursday, April the 16th, 7 o'clock, I'm going to do a Zoom meeting from my basement, and I'm going to teach you to life journal. See, life journaling is something that we've been doing as a church for a long time, seven or eight years, and it's just a systematic reading through Scripture and then allowing Scripture to speak to us. And if you're new to the scriptures and if you're new to the Bible and even if you're a seasoned believer and you just like to join me, then I would love to have you join us. And so you can go to our website, fellowshiptherockies.org. You can scroll down to events. You can click on the event. You can register register for that uh, you'll get an email that gives you a zoom meeting link and then you just click on that Thursday a little bit before or at seven o'clock somewhere along in there and you will join us and then we're going to walk through a zoom meeting together for four weeks the first week I'm just going to teach you the life journal uh, you'll be able to chat. You'll be able to ask questions. Uh, we'll talk back and forth. I'll answer all of your questions. Then for the next three weeks, we're just going to simply life journal together. And so if that is you, if that would help you. I just want to help you understand how to read Scripture, how to apply Scripture to your life so that you can have the confidence of who Jesus is 
and how he wants to walk with you. Just as Thomas walked through a process, really and truly all of us walked through a process. And so I'd personally like, just from my basement every Thursday night, to come alongside of you and help you. In just a few minutes, I'm, I'm going to pray, and then we're going we're gonna to take communion together. This is something that I'm really excited about, and this will be the first time that we've ever done it this way. And so let me pray, and then we're going to take communion. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you for your love, and we just thank you for your grace. Father, we just ask that you would just come near to us. I mean, we know you're near. Father, would you just make your presence known to us? Father, for those that have accepted you or maybe deepened in their faith, Father, would they be able just to let somebody know, whether it's us or whether it's someone else, that they have accepted you and come into a relationship with you? Father, we thank you for technology. We thank you for this opportunity that we can just worship you. We can remember you by taking communion together as individuals, as families, in our homes or, or wherever we are. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we had sent you an email, and we had it on Facebook, and, and we, we had an opportunity and, and gave you the elements and things that you could get for the elements of this time. And, and I've thought about this, this time together a lot. We had planned to, to do communion, and so we wanted to be able to do communion. And I've, I've gotten email and after email from people of Fellowship the Rockies that have said, that they're joining together with their family and the head of household or someone's kind of administrating the elements and taking charge of that. And what a spiritual time this is for them and maybe for you. So the scripture says all the way back in Acts that the believers would worship in the temple courts and they would go to their homes and it was there that they would, they would break bread in homes and they had house churches and and so the scripture talks about how to administrate this time and what this time looks like and the bread and, and the juice and, and the bread and the, the juice represent the, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is, Paul is talking. And, and Paul simply says these words. He says, for I received from the Lord... What I also delivered to you, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this. Do this in remembrance of me. So in this Easter celebration, we, we remember that Jesus Christ went to the cross on our behalf. Scripture says that no one took his life from him, but he laid his life down accordingly because he loved us. He laid it down willingly because he cared for us and he loved us. And so when we hold this bread 
It's symbolic of the, the body of Christ that was given for us in the scriptures. He says, well, he, he just says, he said, on light when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is, which is for you. It's just so deeply personal. And so before we take of the bread together, even though we're not physically in one room, let me just pray. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for your sacrifice. Father, we thank you that you love us enough to offer your body for us. So, Father, we thank you for your love. We cannot imagine what you went through on that cross. But, Father, we are thankful that you didn't stay on that cross. We are thankful that on the third day you rose again for the forgiveness of our sins. And because of that, we can have confidence in what we believe. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you take with me, please? Scripture goes on to say, He said, in the same way also, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and you drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's nothing magic about the juice that we hold in our hands. It's just symbolic of the blood that Jesus shed for us on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there'd be no forgiveness of sin. And so today, we can thank him for forgiveness of sin. It's said of the early believers that after Jesus Christ was crucified that they would they would take lamps candles and they would slowly make their way to the the tomb the tomb that was empty and there there would be kind of an eternal flame there would be a candle there and as the believers would come to the empty tomb, they would light their lamps, they would light their candles. And then they would carry their candles, and you could see it all over, and they would carry their lamps or their candles back to their homes. And for them, it was a picture, it was a teaching of Jesus that we are the light of the world. And when you light a lamp, you don't stick it under a basket. You don't hide it but you understand you're the light of the world. See, communion for us as believers, it's part of our testimony. 
It's part of us saying that we're the church. We're believers. That's why he makes that statement that he says, for you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a proclamation. It's a, it's a time where you draw a line in the sand and say, this is part of my testament. This is part of who I am. And so we can thank him for forgiveness of sin. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you for forgiveness of sin. Father, we thank you that we can walk with you. And you will walk with us. And you will give us peace and you will give us comfort even in difficult times. May we know you at a deeper level. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you take with me, please?